God made man. Man makes machines. And then, the machines remake man. In this mini-series, we explore the ways in which our technology shapes our minds, our habits, and our hearts. What does our technology promise us? What does it cost us? What is it doing for us? What is it doing to us? And where do we go from here? Welcome to Man vs. Machine. All right, well, welcome to another conversation in this sort of mini-series we're doing together with our Book Nook podcast series. This is a series that uh, revolves around the issues of technology. You know, technology dominates so much of our lives. And in fact, even the word technology has come to sort of mean merely screen tech, right? Digital technology of some kind, the internet, something to do with the interweb, right? That's what we, we tend to think of when we say the word technology. But it has a profound impact on our lives. And so if you've listened to our recent Book Nook episode on Amusing Ourselves to Death, that great book by Neil Postman, we reflected um, in that conversation about the way that television as a technology sort of remapped our expectations for what constitutes worthwhile public discourse, whether that be in education or in the church world and worship or whatever. Um, our expectations for things because of television became such that if it's not entertaining, it's not worth my time. And... Um, and so we want to continue that conversation here and reflect a little more broadly about the issues of technology that face us. So here's what I would like to do. I want to start with a question. We're going to each reflect on this. What is your favorite piece of technology hmm. that you own? The favorite, like if you had to get rid of all forms of technology except for this one, what would that be? Hmm. The one that brings me the most daily comfort. My, I mean, my. I mean, if assuming I lose everything else, I might have to say my Keurig coffee maker. <laughs> the 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 solace of that of that little piping hot machine dripping mediocre <laughs> yeah. bean juice into my cup every morning, so I can get my day started. I have to say. <laughs> Is is a pick me up? Yeah, my coffee snobbery died with the Keurig. Uh, I was a French press guy until I got the Keurig, and now I'm pods all day, every day. Yeah, man. Wow. Yeah, that's a that's a good question. I don't know, man. I can say this: um, we got a new TV recently, and um, the remote on it doesn't require batteries. It has a solar thing on the back. You just put it in daylight, and it charges itself. Stop it! I'm dead serious. Are you serious? I promise you. It just says put it in. In some daylight, and it charges itself. Put does it in some daylight. Does it also brush your teeth? Because I'm tempted to buy that. That's amazing. It's weird you say that, because anywhere I go in the house, that remote is right behind me. It just kind of <laughs> it it follows me. Yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. Did, did here, Jeff here Bezos remote. make here, that? Come here. Make that it's a Samsung. It's weird. Okay. Yeah. Right. yeah. What about yours, Ben? What was I don't know. I, I would... You know, I mean, the obvious answer might be telephone, you know, like your smartphone in your pocket yeah. or a laptop or something. But um, I would not want to live without my microwave. Oh, uh, it's Serious. so convenient, like instant Serious. heat. Like I can warm anything up like my coffee, for instance. Like I love my curry. I could make coffee the old fashioned way. But if I can't reheat it, then where am I in the world? 
Because you, know? you, you nurse that cup of coffee. I yeah. mean, that thing lasts you all morning. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. Maybe yeah. the microwave. I Yeah, I, I've eaten n- countless amounts of SpaghettiOs out of a microwave. I feel like I owe a certain amount of my life to the microwave. Do you still spell words with your SpaghettiOs? And... <laughs> I misspell words with my SpaghettiOs. Cause no, I can't wait, that's always... alphabets. I guess yeah. if you have SpaghettiOs, all you can spell is <laughs> ooh. ooh. <laughs> <laughs> all I got to say is I'm going to make you eat those words. Oh, there you go. <laughs> there was a cartoon, I think, with somebody, somebody, some some bumblehead dad who says something like, look, there's a message in my SpaghettiOs or, or in my uh, alphabets. Alphabets. And you look and it's all just ooze. He's eating yeah. SpaghettiOs. <laughs> <clears throat> anyway. Yeah, man. So, you know, I, I, I do think that for a lot of us, um, we have a, f- a favorite piece of technology. And, and a lot of times that technology is a, is a, uh, a boon to our comfort but not necessarily to the quality of a thing. And so let's take the Keurig, for instance. You know, I used to be a French press coffee guy. Yep. Some people are that pour-over coffee, you know, fanatic. I actually, I actually have the pour-over glass right next to my Keurig. It sits there <laughs> uh, neglected right next to my Keurig yeah. every morning. And I, and I think that, you know, one of the things that technology has done for us is it's created a universe in which we do have the option uh, to choose between convenience – or, or comfort and quality. Yes. And I'm I'm not very good at choosing the qualitative option. I'll just be honest with you. Given the choice between convenience and quality, I very often uh, defer to the convenience. So, so maybe let's take a second, though. I I would say a lot of people wouldn't know what you mean by that distinction. Okay. So, so they would say convenience is a high-quality thing for a product to have. Or it, or it creates a higher quality of life for your life to be convenient. So I would ask, when you say there is a quality in life that's distinct from convenience, what are you, what are you pointing to? Okay, so let's let's do this by committee. Yeah. What are some technologies that you would say enhance the convenience of your life? Uh, got an Alexa, so I say Alexa, turn on the couch limp. On comes the couch lamp. Alexa turned the bedroom lamp off. It turns off. And sometimes when Alexa goes to bed before I do, there's an Alexa in our kitchen. So I mess with her and I say, Alexa, turn the bedroom light on. Turn it off. <laughs> turn it on. Turn it on. <laughs> and so she's got a strobe light going. She has no idea what's happening. That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, convenience. I mean, I, I said the Keurig already. Um, c- convenience. Are you saying with without quality or just convenience in general? Because no, I'm, no, just just enhances the convenience of your life. Because sometimes that might necessarily be a trade off. Yeah, from you know over and against quality. Right, because like I would say, like one a big one that we don't think about a lot is like the refrigerator. Like the idea. Yeah. So like my my wife's been baking bread now, um, which is great. But it's like you have to find a way to store it. Mm-hmm. And in my life, I've never had to wonder where do I store my food. Yeah, <laughs> it's just this place where you can put food, and it lasts so much. Okay, longer. so so we can we can push this out. I think I think we should actually play with the forms of technology that where where there's a trade off between convenience and quality. Let's explore the consequences of the refrigerator. All right, so I okay. I, I for one am That's a fun. big fan of the refrigerator. I think it fan. has added to um, the health of our culture. So we're less likely to eat spoiled food, yeah. especially for the poor. They've got a way to preserve food longer. And so I'm, I'm, by the way, a big fan of the refrigerator. But let's explore some of the qualitative um, losses 
with the advent of the refrigerator. I think one would be eating food in season. And yep. so we are we we are not as connected as a culture to the foods that grow around us or even to the need to grow our own food in a local context because we can ship food via refrigeration all over the world and eat food out of season. And so we've lost this sense of connectedness to God's creation and all of the things that we can learn about God and our dependence upon Him and our interdependence upon each other, mm-hmm. local farmers, whatever the case may be, um, because we can preserve food for you know months and months on end in our in our refrigerators, regardless of where it was made or harvested or right. processed. So if I'm hearing you right, we need to get rid of our fridges. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, disregard everything I said before that. Yeah. and come to that conclusion. Well, so another another perhaps uh, side effect would be just not only things out of season, but just things that are fresh, like the idea that you would need milk delivered. On a on a daily, if not every other day, kind of basis, mm. because you had to use it or lose it. It was going to go away, and so you had to have something fresh that was available to you. And so we don't need to keep, for instance, animals who produce milk at the house anymore, yeah. because or we don't need to have a milkman show up to my house um, and deliver me milk every couple of days. Uh, that used to be a staple of human society: is who's getting us these fresh. That's uh, funny. Is Kyle? They're actually used to have. There used to be an ice delivery guy too. Yes. Oh, yes. The ice for, delivery for your guy. ice box. So for sure, if if you got your milk delivered, but the ice guy didn't show up, you're in trouble. Like you got to drink that milk quick, or yeah. make something with it, or you know? or even or even the idea of using like bodies of water. They would use bodies of water as a way to keep things cool in summertime, mm-hmm. especially mm-hmm. like in the south where you you might not have ice available all the time. Mm-hmm. So no, there's whole infrastructures. Well, and even just at an economic level, just the number of jobs that you may. You know, and it's like, well, what gets replaced? But still, there are whole skills that you lose because Mm -hmm. you've created a tool like the refrigerator. If you move into freezing, then a whole nother set of things completely changes. Hyper refrigeration. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Refrigeration just more. Dialed up a notch. Dialed down a notch? Or down, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Growing up, you know, if you wanted ice, we had to fill our little plastic ice trays and stick them in the freezer to get ice cubes. That's how we did it. And, uh, Later on, did I you guess. have to crank the front of your car with that little turn <laughs> handle? That- yeah, um, and then we got you know fridges that had an ice maker in it, but it would dump it down in that bottom storage compartment. You'd have to pull out the big drawer and then scoop your ice out. And so a couple of years ago, we bought a needed a new fridge, and so first time ever to have an ice maker on the door with water you could get. And so there's another convenience that's been added to it. We actually. There was there was a fridge a fridge that I was looking at where all you had to do was tap the door and the light on the door would come on. You could see into your fridge, and it had smart. Uh, it was a had Wi-Fi built into it. I could um, from my office see my fridge and what was missing, so I know what to get to get at the store. Or the fridge would tell me what I was lacking. Yeah, right and. Uh, you know, so that's how far we've come. Yeah, that you can even watch TV on your fridge. The screen there is are. that big. Yeah, mm-hmm. they have TVs <laughs> and, built in, and, they, and you can stream or whatever you yeah. want. Yeah, yeah. smart TVs. Yeah. So, so smart maybe fridges. The the connection to to lean the other way and go. Okay, so we're all pretty okay with the fridge as a form of technology that's convenient, but it's increased a lot of quality in life of people. Mm-hmm. What might be examples of the exact opposite, like the least amount of yeah. quality improvement? Purely for the sake of a uh, a trivial convenience. Yeah, that's that's hard. That's that's a hard one for me because um, I think 
in some ways, it's um, it's in those arenas of technology where you do get some sort of a boost in uh, a trade-off in qualities, where there's sort of an addition mm-hmm. to the, your uh, an enhancement to your quality, but also a a loss of quality that it's it's hardest for us to to cope with. Mm-hmm. So, um, well, but but here's here's a funny story. So one time. I would say instant messaging on computers is kind of a, an advancement in technology in some way. It's 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 an advancement. It's a progress, I would say, in communication. So um, there was a time when I was still on Facebook and my wife was on Facebook and we were sitting in the living room and you got that Facebook messenger, you know, and so I don't know if that's even still a thing. I've been off Facebook for a while now, but um, is it still? It's, it's still a thing, yeah. It's, it's still there. a thing. Okay, so... It's its you, own app now, which is kind of hilarious because it was always just sort of an addendum to Facebook. Now it's like its own... Its own... Application. Okay. <clears throat> so anyway, but you could sit there at the time at the bottom of your browser, you'd have your little Facebook message windows lined up with the conversations you were sort of hap- you know, um, having all at once. you know. And so there was my wife was one of the tabs at the bottom of this thing. So I would pull her tab up after I was done communicating with my brother over here or some students in the ministry over here or whatever. And, and I would ask my wife, what do you want to do for dinner tonight? Well, here's the funny thing. My wife was sitting on the couch across the room from me. <laughs> she was also on Facebook having her conversations, right. doing her own browsing thing. And so she would communicate with me through Facebook. And I realized this is this little bit of technology is changing the way my wife and I communicate about mm. something as essential as what are we going to eat tonight? And is that a good a- enhancement inherently? Mm. Um, or or is it better? Is it more qualitative for me to put my computer away Go over and sit next to my wife, and let's think of what are we going to make? Are we going to, or what are we going to pop in the microwave? As the case may be, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would say stuff like that is definitely very high convenience, but very low quality, like addition type things. I would say even just the advancements in like video technology, so like things like streaming platforms. We all really got tired of cable, apparently, and so we decided instead of paying one person sixty dollars a month. I'm going to pay 10 people $6 a month and have all of their stuff. Um, and But what what it did is it made it really, really easy to watch a lot of video. But all the video we got, uh, especially if you've got something like Amazon Prime, is they just dump all of their content onto this thing. So you've got – you can choose from 100 billion videos, but like 99% of them are just garbage, like just yeah. not good things to watch at all. And it just forces you into this habit. You know, we've talked about uh, with people before this idea of like 90% of the time you spend on Netflix is looking for what you would like to watch on Netflix. And so you're not even being entertained. You're just being zoned out. So here's a funny thing. This is, there's a concept we're talking about. We're describing when we talk about the trade-off between quality and convenience. Um, It's, it's a symptom of this, uh, this idea called the reversal of technology Mm. and how technology reverses on itself. And so here's an interesting um, example of how technology re- reversed on itself, um, or at least there were unforeseen um, consequences to the way that we live and uh, um, think and perceive the world. Okay, so right. uh, air conditioning. I don't think any of us would have even thought to mention air conditioning as a technology we wouldn't want to live without. When right. I asked the question, it's just become that essential and an invisible part of our culture. Right. 
Um, but I, I would not want to live without air conditioning. There was a time, as it turns out, I mean, if historians are to be believed, there was a time before air conditioning and people survived. Um, the dark times. <laughs> yeah, even in Texas, people survived without air conditioning. But here's a funny thing. So houses were built differently. Uh, they often, before air conditioning, houses had front porches and people would go outside. They would open their windows, open their doors and sit outside on the front porch in the evenings to cool off, to mm -hmm. allow the house to cool down. And the consequence of that, the absence of air conditioning was all of your neighbors were also sitting on their porches and you got to know your neighbors. There was just yeah. sort of this community um, connectedness as a result of just needing to go outside and cool off. Well, with the advent of air conditioning, what happened? Well, we started staying indoors and closing our windows and closing our doors because you don't want the cool air to escape. Right. Right. So the very thing that um, drove us outside and had the positive byproduct of getting us connected, you know, our need to adjust our temperature and yeah. keep ourselves comfortable. Once we had a technology to solve that problem, forced us inside, and we lost the quality of that neighborhood connectedness. And now most homes come without a front porch, at least not one you right. want to sit on. Well, and some reversals of technology are, are easily foreseeable. So it's like the fortress wall can keep yeah. the enemies out, or if there's a fire in the fort, it keeps everybody in, right? right. Or even uh, the car. It allowed us to go across the country in, in a moment, but it also – um, meant that there's a lot of car crashes and you have a lot more young people dying in transit, which right. is just something you didn't have. Right. But then there are other ones that are the exact opposite, to your point, of what they were trying to accomplish. Yes. So I read an article one time that fascinated me about uh, Tinder, which is a dating app mm -hmm. where you basically just swipe and basically people have these really short, really uh, kind of catchy profiles. It's sort of like, you know, like speed dating on your phone. And they did research on how people were using Tinder because the, it had exploded in popularity, but they weren't seeing a higher percentage of people being successful. And what they discovered was because they designed the application like a game, people were treating it like a game. They were just doing voting up or voting down people like a slot machine, but they were actually weren't even thinking about going on dates with them because the form of it taught them to, to go the wrong way with the technology and mm -hmm. completely missed the whole point. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, what you said about front porches and all that. I mean, look, when I'm inside cooling off, I just FaceTime neighbors and see what they're up to. <laughs> That's right. So FaceTime I mean, your yeah, neighbors. That's not bad. Hey, are y'all yeah. keeping cool in there? Cool. But, um, you know, on car, uh, I use cars as an example. I mean, there's some nice features that have been added to our vehicles today that allow to either be more fuel efficient, um, do things inside your car that cars in years past, decades past, just weren't capable of doing from touch screens to touch start ignition, you know, that kind of stuff. But if you raise the hood on your car, it is so compact, you can't get your hands in there to work mm -hmm. on it where you used to be able to work on your own car. Now you're dependent on a dealership or a mechanic to do that for you and cost you a lot more money. And so it took uh learning how to work on some of that stuff yourself just completely out of the equation because you, you just simply can't on most stuff that's out there today. So yeah. while the convenience is nice, if anything goes wrong, you're kind of at their mercy. We're reduced from being agents, active agents in the things that we own, knowing how to fix them, having even access to fix them, to being dependents, automatons on somebody else, on the expert. So this is an interesting idea because I asked you really early on, what would be an indication of a quality increase versus a quality decrease based on technology's use, right? What's convenience but a loss of quality? It's interesting that we land on something like 
I'm now dependent upon a new person as a loss of quality of life. Like that's that's a particular view of what a human being is for, what a human being is about. I think this is one of the reasons why when we talk about technology being inevitable progress, people sort of say like any technology is progress. What they're missing is that that's a particular view of what human beings are, what human being human beings are for. And what I think we've kind of decided as a as a popular culture is that human beings are tool makers. And so any tool we make is is worth having. I think a Christian has to say, whoa, 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 humans are something. We were created for something. And so that will show us what kinds of technologies are good versus what kinds of technologies are bad, the kinds that can make us more human, for instance. Yeah, I, I, I would agree. I, I don't think um, I don't think technology is bad. I think it's inevitable because we're God's stewards and we have he's given us rational minds and so we see the world and its problems and then solve those problems and we create machines yeah. to solve those problems. And so I think I think technology and the tools we make or whatever the case may be is inevitable. Um, I don't think we are as good today about thinking in terms of what is this going to add to my life and what will it take away from my life? Hmm. I, I don't I don't think we're really equipped as Christians even to think that way, and maybe we should. Um, here, here's just one more example of how th- there's surprising qualitative um, lapses in the advancement in, in technology. So Google, for instance. A lot of people do research on Google. Uh, if they have a question, what are you going to do? It's even turned, it's so common, it's turned into a verb. The company has turned into a verb. Oh, I Googled it. Or go Google this. And what we mean is enter this query into a search bar in a search engine and and tell me what, what, you, what turns up. Well, Google has algorithms that are designed to return certain kinds of information. Not necessarily the best information, but they privilege the most recent and the most clicked on. And so there, there's several things that Google does that, that privileges the now over the all time. Here's the interesting thing that educators have discovered about doing research in the digital age. When you, when you used to have to research the old-fashioned way in libraries, more of the learning, most of the learning that took place happened in the research process searching for the answer to that. So you would pick up a book looking for the answer. You'd have to read through that portions of that book, picking up, gleaning little bits of information and knowledge as you go. That sort of helps you think better and synthesize information. You say, well, okay, I, that, that got me on a good track. Put that one down, pick up the next book and search through that. And you'll pick up, glean a little bit, little bits of information that you need. Whereas Google bypasses all of that learning. Hmm. To get to the information. And so what you end up with is with people, a lot of people with facts, but not necessarily enhanced understanding. Hmm. And there's a difference between information and understanding. So we 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 have better we have better access. So for instance, Facebook debates. Have you ever gotten an argument with someone on Facebook? Nope. Gosh, guilty. Never, never, never have. I just refuse to. It's it's a it's so stupid. Yeah, it, it yeah. makes me mad. I tell myself I won't, and then I'm weak. <laughs> yeah, and so you get into these debates, and what does everyone fall have recourse to? Google. So you're going to Google that fact that you have as a retort to whatever that person said, and so you end up with this, you know, dialogue between two people, and then you got a you know a gallery of people who just kind of like and you know yeah. um, chime in periodically because there's a you know a, a peanut gallery watching this. 
no one really has understanding of the subject. Everyone's relying on Google for their own case in point. Well, look, that's why I promote MySpace. There's a whole lot less people to deal with. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's true. Yeah, I think, Truer words were never said. I think at this point, Van, we can just call it your space because you're the only one left. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and to your point, it a lot of these technologies are creating a space in which we don't really have a way to um, objectively value that technology. We're just sort of doing it by popular demand, popular opinion. We're sort of going, well, everybody's on it. It must be good. You know, well, everybody has this thing. It must be helpful. Um, and I think that's just a really, really bad way to look at technology, especially since, to your point, we always have to choose what technologies we have at our disposal. And not every technology is as good as others. So, for instance, I think penicillin is an awesome thing that we have. Mm-mm. You know, like I'm allergic. You're allergic? Okay, mm-hmm. so... <laughs> besides for van it's, it's an case, in point. case in point case in point we gotta choose we gotta choose yeah. these things but I think penicillin is a better technology to have yeah. than like Facebook because it's actually increasing something about what it means to be human uh, aka like surviving except for van poor van he won't but it's actually just allowing us to live longer, experience the things that God wants us to do longer Yeah. versus Facebook, which isn't providing those same human benefits. Yeah, and we could even look at one technology and see both the positive and the negative impacts of it. So like you mentioned automobiles. Yeah. You know, I mean, lots of people die every year because we drive these vehicles. Yeah. Um, and yet there's no one lobbying that we do away with them. I mean, it's a significant cause of death, these vehicles. And no one in our society is saying it would be worth removing these vehicles to, to have saved these lives, right? But that same form of technology, so to speak, also saves lives. If you think of yeah. emergency response services who are able to get to the, the crisis a lot faster, um, and, and that's ma- it makes all the difference in some people's lives. So yeah. it saves lives, it costs lives. Technology is not always just a black and white thing. So this is what I hear often then. What I hear a lot of people argue is, no technology is good or bad. It is only how you use the technology that decides whether it is good or bad. Do we agree with that statement? Is that the is that the correct way for Christians to view technological advancement? I would have said yes um, a number of years ago. I've 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 been exposed to enough now through reading and some of the things that I've I've some of the questions that I've wanted to get answered about technology and the way we view technology. Because I was I was actually a youth pastor during um, when when the smartphone hit, and I saw a qualitative difference in the kind of youth groups you had pre iPhone, pre smartphone, and the kind of youth groups that that uh, the, the 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 quality of the interaction of the students post smartphone. Okay, so I started asking all these questions back like two thousand nine. Okay, um, so I would have said yes to the to the statement you just made, Kyle, that technologies. Um, a, a neutral tool. It just depends on how you use it. A shovel can be used to dig a garden or it can be used to kill someone, you know? So it's just a, it's just a tool. But I do think that technologies all possess um, a, a predetermined trajectory, okay, in, in terms of how they want to be used. And every technology comes with a set of social alterations that it will necessarily make, and and those can be positive or those can be negative, um, and to varying degrees. And so I think, for instance, um, uh, social media. 
Well, it's just an it's just a neutral tool, right? It depends on how you use it. You could cuss and curse and demean people and say awful things on on social media, or you could write just scripture, right? Yeah. And so then it's a wholly positive <coughs> thing. But social media also came with it. Um, it determined by its essence, by what it is, how we engage as a culture. Radically altered the way that we think about communication and right. community, right. regardless of whether you're using that for positive or for or for negative yeah. ends. It sort of goes back to this idea: uh, to a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Mm-hmm. So technologies predispose us; they train us to look at the world in a particular way. Right. Right. So uh, to go back to uh, some of the food stuff we were talking about earlier. There's a distinction, there's a difference in the benefits between a dining table and a TV tray, right? So the TV tray, like the dining table, they're both designed simply to hold the plate and cups and silverware so that you can eat your dinner. But one of them has a trajectory, which is to put you in front of something else so that you can watch, you can observe. Now, you could theoretically use that to go sit in your back porch and watch your kids play. You could do that. Or you could cobble a bunch of those TV trays together and form a dining table if yeah. you want. <laughs> Guess but, you but, could. but that's not how the technology <laughs> right. or how the tool wants to be used. Right. That's not the right. that's not the purpose, the trajectory of the technology. Right. And I would say some of the technology we're talking about, I mean, so if you can use the shovel as an example, yeah, it, it helps breaking up the ground easier and moving stuff. But the shovel doesn't open up your world to as much potential bad stuff as say social media would so mm-hmm. i mean there's varying degrees right. as to yeah. the technology and that's its a, potential that's a great point so like let's look at medicine the world of medicine mm. if we can do it medically should we yeah so the world of bioethics is real i mean like people who people there are very very smart people who think hard about the implications of biomedical technologies yeah. um and and whether we should do something just because we can and and so, for instance, the the issue of um, transgender surgeries, let's just take, and this is one I think most Christians agree on. I would like to say all Christians agree on, but I don't think that's the case. Um, we shouldn't be carving up bodies to conform physical appearance to uh, mental delusion. Yeah. Let's put it that way. Yeah. We shouldn't be doing that. We should be helping the mind rather than carving up bodies. Medicine can do that. Right. Should it should it do that? But I would also say that by and large, medical advancements have been better than they have been bad for us. Mm-hmm. Sure, yeah. But but to your point, all of those all of those advancements and the extent of the advancements become extremely important, especially when uh, what Van was saying. You add in the human element, so now you've got the ability now for people to begin editing the genes of uh, a baby in the womb like we're getting to the point where this is a a distinct possibility and they're doing research on what what can we do for a child before they're born and the immediate argument are things like we might be able to remove uh preconditions for heart disease and we might be able to uh reverse certain genetic issues that would cause a short life or a difficult life for this child but when you add in the human element you have to start asking questions of when this technology interacts with humans will it become something entirely different but that also is a christian understanding of a human we say we know the humans are selfish and so instead of using this to remove heart disease we might also be using it to for instance choose the, the the sex of our child because we would prefer one over the other and that mm-hmm. that's when you start having to go 
even if the technology itself might be okay, is it okay to give to humans that kind of power and authority? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's this um, there's this idea among some tech critics, and I, I don't really know where I fall on it. I know where I tilt. I don't know where I fall. Um, but it's the idea that there is, we've actually made s- such strides to answer all of the pressing issues, problems facing mankind, that there is no room for any um, technological advancement other than in the direction of, inco- of inconvenience, of, of the direction of convenience, I should say. So, right. um, for instance, the space-time problem. We can't be in um, two places at once. And so we, we can't communicate with someone who's not here. That was a huge problem or, or issue, challenge facing, limitation, I should say. We have broken down the limits of human existence and solved those problems with technology. Um, and there's really no frontier left to solve because we've got, like, let's just take the space-time issue, the space-time limitations. We can communicate instantaneously to anyone on the planet at any time. We can be cognitively present with anyone at any time on the planet. No longer does space and time interfere with our ability to communicate with someone on the other side of the globe. So the only sort of enhancements that can take place in that technology at this point would have to be what shape that communication takes place in. So we can FaceTime now rather than just talk on the telephone. We could talk on the telephone rather than simply over a radio. We could talk on the radio rather than just over a telegraph. Or you could join the metaverse and meet your avatars. And join you. the metaverse, <laughs> meet your avatars. So it's an interesting thing to to think we may be living in a time where the only technological advancements that are left to us will be um, enhancements in the forms that these other technological revolutions brought, already brought about. Mm. And, and it has to sort of be technological advancements in the direction of our comforts. Yeah. Because all of our major problems have been solved. So I would challenge mm. you, can you think of a major human limitation that our technologies are not already solving today? Aside from eternal life, right? Because that's <laughs> ultimately what our medical profession is aiming toward and trying to solve. How, to, uh, how, how, right. how can we push right. death further and further out if not even solve the problem, right? Gracious. Um, I, I mean, I could hazard a couple. I would... Uh, well, I would ahead. say as you're thinking about that, Kyle, um, something that comes to mind, you know, there's a lot of talk about artificial intelligence and um, computers or whatever devices that or have those chips in them, being able to make decisions, being able to think like humans. I would say the limitation that I see is no matter how far that gets, uh, it can never be governed by the spirit of God that indwells the human. And so um, there, I, I would say, you know, advancements in technologies, as far as the believer is concerned, um, my use of those is governed by the Lord. And so um, to what degree something can be neutral, uh, an advancement, a help for convenience sake or whatever, I think that technology can be neutral and as a believer can always be used for the good. Um because, like I said, it's being governed by the Lord in my life. Um, 
but it can certainly, you, you put it in the hands of someone else who doesn't belong to the Lord or care for the Lord and walking in his ways, it can definitely be used for terrible purposes. See, I would, I would in some ways argue there may be some technologies that even a redeemed believer in the best of mind should not have access to. Like well, even yeah. if you know what I mean, like yeah, sure. I mean, if it, if that technology was created for bad purposes, of course. I mean, or unless, I mean, what 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 example are you thinking? So, of? so like for instance, I, I I would say even something. I'll go back to my original example, but I'll even give one. I'll give a crazy example just to maybe avoid some controversy. Time travel. Let's say we could oh. do that. Just for instance, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. Just the, for instance, the, the limit of of our, our occupying the present only. Yeah. Right. Right. Let, let's just assume yeah. for the sake of argument that's possible. Mm-hmm. I actually don't think that would be moral for a Christian to use for good purposes, hmm. even if it were tr- possible to use. Hmm. To go back in time? To go back in time. Okay. Simply or, or because, forward into the or future. Or forward into the future or whatever, because I would, and, and you could argue this for me, but I'm using it as an example mm-hmm. of technology. I think we are so obsessed with what we can do, and we are very quick to believe. And I'm not putting this on you, Van, because I knew you do mm-hmm. very level-headed, very humble, none of that stuff. But I'm just saying... I think we are so quick to believe that we would be the good guy if we had the power to do it. We would be Superman and we wouldn't be Lex Luthor. Um, we believe that with all of the fiber of our being when – if so, for instance, um, if you talk about time travel, you would be rewriting what God has already written. It It, it makes us master of time in a way that only God ever has been. And And, and so my point would be even if a Christian could – the correct Christian response would be to say, absolutely not. Yeah. That would be well, the correct choice. And so here's what I would say, because he, I, I think your point is is correct. There is a moral question to be asked when it comes to our use of technology. Mm-hmm. Should we sure. or shouldn't we? Mm-hmm. Not merely, um, y- the answer is not an obvious yes to every form of technology right, right. for yeah, a yeah, Christian yeah. because we aren't masters sure. of ourselves yeah. or or really the earth. We're sort of submasters. We're stewards in that sense. And so where do you think Christians today in the forms of technology that, t- technology that currently exist, where do you think Christians should be more discerning in our use of technology when it comes to the quality of human life and human flourishing versus the convenience that the technology offers. So um, in merely that regard, not the moral and ethical breakdown of sin versus righteousness, like if you use this technology, it's obviously sin, but in in what way do you think Christians should be more discerning when it comes... Because the scriptures obviously uh, uh, say something about what what, what people are for, what humans are for, not just what they should or shouldn't be doing. Um, so like, for instance, work is good. It's not only we are built for work, but work is a gift to us. Mm. Rest, also something good. Mm. Worship, also something good. Um, yeah. So what, what would you say? Where should Christians be more discerning today? Mm. I'll, I'll, I'll say, so I'll say this, this is a story. This was back in 2010, I want to say. We were in student ministry, Van, you and I, I think we're doing student ministry together at the time. Mm-hmm. And um, we were at, at Centrifuge, um, one of those centrifugal bumble puppy camps that <laughs> uh, we used to take kids to up in, up in Glorietta, New Mexico. So anyway, um, 
there was this there was this debate among all the leaders one morning because they had this leaders devotion they would always call the youth pastors and the um parent volunteers you know into the room and they would do kind of a, a leader devotion and they they asked this question how should we be using cell phones and social media and these things to um for the benefit of student ministry all of our kids are on it no one was not a single person in this room of, of a couple hundred leaders even thought to ask the question whether we should use it at all. Everyone assumed we should, and the question was, how and in what direction? What does that look like? And so I finally I finally said, guys, like, we're, we're seeing some things, some of the results in studies that people are doing on the cognitive impact of these technologies on kids is pointing in the direction that it's severely damaging to their development. Mm-hmm. Should that inform whether or not we use this technology at all. Should our absence on these technologies be the way that we call people out of something that we know to be damaging for them, right? Or are we obliged to use these technologies because they exist? And the only answer I got, it was almost like it was just brushed aside by the whole group. No, you don't understand. This is here to stay. It's not going anywhere. And so we've got to to be present on this stuff. We've got to use it. So... I'm going to ask that same question now, okay? What yeah. is it is it true that because a technology exists, Christians are obligated to use it? Or is it sometimes good not to use a thing? Mm-hmm. Because we know that it's undoing something that God made for us to be about or to do like how a child develops their mind, their their mm-hmm. social abilities, um Whatever uh, the case may be. Yeah. So I'd say yes to your question. There are things that we need to be certain and probably would need to say no to because it's not beneficial. But I don't know if this is the best illustration. I've shared this before. But growing up, we um, at least when we lived in Louisiana, had a decent lot that our house sat on, and it was a lot to mow as a kid. <laughs> we had a push mower, and I begged my dad to get a riding mower. Both both neighbors had riding mowers. I said, Dad, please, can we get a riding mower? And he said, no, you need Get out there and mow. It'll make your legs stronger. <laughs> so <laughs> Make your legs stronger? It made me so mad. I ran with that push mower just to get it over with, you know. And uh, but uh, and his so his point was, you know, yeah, we could get one of those. And I think he truly meant this uh, for a growing son. He said, "This will make you stronger. This is better for you physically that you do this and not sit on a mower and do it." Mm-hmm. And uh, so, as much as I balked at it as a kid, I still have a push mower to this day. Not that my yard requires a, a, a riding mower, but I always think about that. And you know, there's a benefit, and you know, it's uh, it it's a workout, and it's always stuck with me. There's some things you could do for convenience sake, not always necessarily the most beneficial or productive for you, though, if you had it. And so, uh, you know, when, when we had our girls and the iPhone came out. Holly, our oldest, was begging for an iPhone. And we said no for, for a while until um, we could just get our, our own grasp of what it was all about. And still, even then, didn't understand fully all the potential that it had for uh, bad. You know, all you see is the cool features and stuff. But um, something we certainly had to navigate with all of our children, you know, in the midst of the smartphone age. But... Um, yeah, I'd say we definitely have to be 
uh, more discerning and, and not be so apt to just jump on the, the newest technology, but start asking better and, and uh, right questions before we yeah. engage it. Yeah. No, yeah, for sure. You have to, and to your point, there are, there may be better uses for the technologies that Christians can can take advantage of that others might not. But I think there's some things. So, like, for instance, I work with youth and I work with parents, and one of the things that I try to tell people is avoid technologies that uh, don't have accountability built into them. So, like, uh, uh, um, anonymous messaging apps like Snapchat. Why on earth would you have a technology that allows you and the person you're communicating with to have no record of what you said that anybody could put anything on and have no accountability for? Or it's, uh, uh, gosh, there are video uh, ch- chat boards now that people can just get on, you just click a button, and it randomizes you to some random person on the other side of the world, and you can, wa- you can have a conversation with a random person on video, again, without any accountability, without any connection. And I'm like, why would you even in the best of times, want yourself to be using those kinds of technologies, something that allows you to shirk accountability in communicating with other people in secret. <laughs> it's just not one a good the, idea. One of the technologies I think we're facing right now, and it's in the it's in the arena with, you know, um, all other digital technology, but it's this idea of online church services. We've talked about this mm. off and on, um, on, on the podcast and off the podcast, you know, but <clears throat> right. I, I think there's an obvious benefit to the online thing, which is, you know, it allows those who are homebound or, um, you know, maybe sick or just traveling to stay connected, see what's going on at their home church, you know, if, if they can't be there personally. But here's an interesting thing. Um, this was always a problem that faced the church, and they had, a, they had different solutions to it. And I wonder which solution you think is better. And, and why and, and I don't think it's a I don't think it's a black and white thing I think there's going to be some gray area here so hear me I'm not I'm not actually saying you know there's nothing good to be gained from online church it's not my it's not my position okay but the way that churches solved the problem of someone of a homebound person like an aged person who couldn't drive or couldn't get in their horse and buggy is they would go and get them someone would go and get that person and take them to church and then probably take them to their house for lunch or to somewhere else for lunch yeah. to, to eat afterwards and then take them home again. So there was a, a heightened, because the problem itself necessitated the, the forms of community that I think God expects of Christians. Yeah. And so sometimes in that sense, the problem itself is a blessing. Mm-hmm. We see this all the time. Um, the problem itself can be a blessing to the community because it, um, like C.S. Lewis says, Suffering is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. It's that idea that sometimes God uses uncomfortable things in our lives and the problems to get us to be about the things that he wants us to be about. We reap the benefits of our own problems. Today, with the online service, we've solved the problem in another way that absolves us from any responsibility of having to care for those people with the same time and effort and intentionality Mm. um, that prior generations would have had to. So... There's there's just one example of a hard question that I think we're facing. I'm I'm not I'm not actually arguing as a pastor that we should stop doing online services. Yeah. Well, but, and, and to your point, we talked about reversal of technology earlier. That online church is a great example of a technology that can reverse in the sense that what you've provided as a benefit to 
congregation members who don't have the ability to get to church that day for whatever reason. It also provides the avenue for those who maybe just don't want to or maybe just don't have the, the motivation to make it there for whatever reason. Yeah. And and so it's – and to your point, that's a reversal. It's not what the technology is for, and it's honestly not what probably people even intended to be used for, even when they're using it for those reasons. Um, but I think what it also does is it, it, re- it changes the way we frame how we're looking at church. Mm-hmm. So for instance – uh, what we're finding now is uh, a lot of people who encounter churches for the first time, they're encountering their online services first. They're not visiting in person. Mm-hmm. They're watching it online, and so they're not evaluating it in the same way you'd evaluate a church in person. You're now asking questions like, well, does it look good? Does it have the same kind of appeal as the other shows I watch on YouTube? Is the person energetic? Is the uh, is is everything dynamic How are they and exciting? Dressed? What's the aesthetic right. of the building? And, yeah. and so you evaluate it differently, and that that can be a bad thing because you're changing the way you're evaluating your faith community. Yeah, hmm. yeah, it's it's strange, and and obviously I'm not. <laughs> I mean, I'm really not in the position to say all forms of digital technology are bad. That's not what we're saying. And I think people want to reduce the question down to like bare bones level. Is it okay or is it not okay? Right. And, and that's just because we, I think we, we have a, um, a, a reaction against complex thinking. We don't want to think, uh, about complicated things. And I think these are complicated, complex questions. Um, and so, for instance, maybe maybe one of the questions we should ask is, am I more or less likely to live the way God wants me to with if I have this technology at my disposal? So right. he, he, let's go back to one. Let's go back to the, the microwave. Okay, I mentioned that's one that I would not want to be without, right? Yeah. Having a micro, microwave in my house, am I more or less likely to get with my family and actually spend an hour or more of our evening together, preparing a meal, the fellowship and the community that takes place around just getting a meal prepared, right? And then sit around the table to enjoy that meal. Am I more or less likely to engage in that kind of familial activity if I have a microwave? Well, I would say, I mean, just knowing myself, right? Like I can't speak for you, but knowing myself, I'm less likely to engage in that. I'm also not saying I'm going to get rid of my my microwave, Right. right? But it's developing the habit of discernment yeah. And self-control to yes. say, tonight, we're not throwing that frozen pizza in the oven. Tonight, we're not, you know, I'm not going to call that person. I'm going to go to the hospital and visit them. You know, Just a side note, doctors just uh, released an article saying that frozen pizza is the worst thing for your heart to eat. So do not yeah. eat frozen pizzas. Yeah, I saw totally that. Totally serious. Yeah. That's hilarious. It's, yeah. it's like I mean, the not single worst food for your heart. Like that yeah. is in the store. Worse than just fresh baked pizza? Why would that be? Just I think because of the ingredients to preserve it in its frozen state. All the yeah. all the stuff that's in it to make it, I guess, frozen. Yeah. Well, and there's there's a lot of wisdom to what even Van said earlier that there are people who will use those technologies for better or for worse. So the amount in which you engage with the technology may be maturity dependent mm-hmm. uh, and situation dependent. So like for the microwave, um, that's a benefit to someone who needs to eat because they have obligations awaiting them, right? So it's like, hey, I need to eat because I need to do something here. But if you find yourself in a situation where you need to be around people, having the self-control to say no to that 
Yeah. The question is, do we have that kind of, have we built that kind of self-control? It's I think hard. A, I think a lot of people treat technology like, uh, like the exact opposite of any other experience. Uh, a lot of people treat technology like you take a two-year-old and you throw them into an ocean and say, once we figure out how long it takes you to drown, then we'll tell you whether you need floaties. Yeah. It's like, no, no, no. Like you need to, you need to enter into these things with a little bit of humility and believe that I have limitations and I need to learn those limitations before the results are catastrophic. Mm. You know, when I was young, we were at a pool and I didn't know how to swim and I begged my dad for the convenience of floaties and he said, you don't need that convenience and he just threw me in the deep end <laughs> and made me learn how to swim. I actually did learn how to swim similar to that. So, <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah. Oh my goodness. Um, yeah, we were... By the way, that was a joke. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> I actually... Van's, Van's like, uh, my, actually, I was joking. <laughs> my story is, is somewhat similar to that. Um, yeah. But but anyway, we were so so. Here's a here's an interesting issue I faced in my own life. Just a moment of self disclosure here. I got off social media a number of years ago. I quit Facebook and Twitter and all that stuff because I I realized early on, not just because of the study I, studies I was reading and the books I was reading about this, but just because my own peace and happiness were um, not jiving with the social media life. I was angry more often. I, I realized I started to filter my life experiences with my own kids in terms of how could I um, display this online for public consumption, you know? And so it just, I realized my thoughts weren't my own. My heart was not my own. This online thing was was controlling the way I was thinking about moral issues and even my own family. And so I didn't like it, right? I got off. And I thought, okay... Social media, the, one of the good things about it is, is, it is it keeps you connected with other people, right? And so there's sort of that immediate connectivity with others that people like about social media. People often say, well, you know, I mean, I've gotten to connect with people I haven't talked to in 30 years, you know, because I'm on social media. Fair. All right? Fair. <clears throat> I told myself when I got off social media, okay, if I'm going to get off, I'm going to have to develop the positive habits that would keep me connected with other people in an intentional way, like, for instance, letter writing. I mean, can you imagine? Or even just sending emails, like sending emails to say thanks or, hey, how are you doing? To check in with people because I don't see their Facebook walls or whatever. I don't know what vacation they went on recently, right? Here's what I found. It's very difficult to say no. It's one thing to say no to a technology. It's another thing to say yes to the cultivation of all those positive habits that you're going to have to develop in your life to create the quality of life that you were aiming for when you said no to that form of technology. So for instance, if I if I said no to the microwave, right? Let's just say I we we all decided, you know what? Yeah, that microwave is taking a lot of quality out of my life. <laughs> um and we we kicked them to the curb. Um the, there's a difference between saying no to the microwave and saying yes to the cultivation of culinary skill. Uh, right? Yeah. And yeah. and the time it would take us in the evenings pull ourselves away from all the you know, atomized activities that we all do as individuals, all the entertainment things we have to keep us occupied and devote hours of our time every day to work, to, to, to eat together. There's a difference yeah. between those two things. So where are some areas in your lives and in the lives of Christians generally where you think you're, you're sort of inclined to say, yeah, maybe I should say no to this. But then there's also this positive side of that, which is the cultivation of a life or skills or habits that, that, it would, that would pose a challenge to you. I mean, so I'll say in, in 
in my house, we love we love cooking. It's kind of become a, a social activity for 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 my wife and I. And that took a lot of skill because I grew up as a bachelor in a bachelor pad with a microwave. So there was a lot of skill that it took a long time to get even halfway decent at it. But I'll say for for me, one of the ones that's been more hard is cultivating the art of hospitality. Mm. So learning like the amount of effort it takes to go, okay, I want someone to have a dinner at my house this month. So I got to think through who might be available. Okay. Um, when is a night that we can have them over? Okay, well, have I communicated to them in enough advanced time? Well, have I bought enough food so that we can have that in the house when they get here? Well, have I cleaned the house this week? You know, so there's all these skills that you have to develop and it becomes difficult, it becomes hard. It's like, man, it would just been easier to either one, not see them or two, uh, find a, find an easier way to have that interaction. But I found that that skill of hospitality can overcome so many of those other quote, convenient ways of interacting, whether it's social media, whether it's the casual, hi, how are you in, in the hallways of a church after service, you know, mm-hmm. it, it can be so rich and so deep, but to your point, it takes a lot of effort that I'm not used to exerting for social gatherings. And that, and that's hard. And I, I want to get better at that. What if I told you that if you use GPS on a regular basis, you're more likely to suffer from dementia in I'd, old age. I'd quit instantly. Okay, so here's the here's the here's the interesting thing. We've actually discovered this is the case. One of the ways in which the human mind is most active is in navigation. So when we navigate based on what we see rather than just being told turn left, turn right, turn, you know, go straight, turn left, turn right. When we navigate the physical universe using our brains, it's one of the most powerful um, uh, uh, anchors against the drift toward losing our memory. Mm. So we actually preserve memory through navigating the physical world. Wow. Um, wow. That's, that's a really interesting thing. It's, it's one example of how, man, what a great technological advancement. But what if we forget who we were sooner and, and more of us lose our memory? Because our lives were more convenient. And, and what, a, what a powerful picture of what technology can do. It's, you talked about it with Google. Google privileges the popular and the contemporary. What is happening now and what a lot of people agree with already. So much of technology is trying to overcome generational issues. You know, And like, mm-hmm. listen, nobody's nostalgic about typhoid. Right? Like, none of us are sort of going, man, you remember when we all used to die of smallpox? <laughs> the good old days, yeah. yeah. But there are things that we – like, for instance, the best holidays are the ones where we sit down and we have traditional food that we cook for hours beforehand. And that's an inconvenience, but there's a, there's a quality of life that, to your point, builds memory. We actually have a richer, deeper experience of our own life yeah. without that technology present. Speaking of GPS, it's gotten so bad. We use it in our house just to find stuff in different rooms, you know. So <laughs> we've got it programmed. Got your GPS. The, yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. Go upstairs, turn left. Yeah. It, yeah. <laughs> oh no! Gosh, where's the restroom? It's an emergency. Yeah. <laughs> Get my GPS out. Wow, wow. <laughs> you know, I so there was an interesting mo- time in my life when I did away with smartphones just because the technology was really bad. 
for me personally. And so I, I got rid of the, the smartphone technology and went back to a dumb phone. You should have seen the look on the AT&T sales guy's face, by the way, when I said, can I get rid of this iPhone for something really stupid? Um, he was like, I think, I think you are the thing that's really stupid, right? Um, um, but what I lost, one of the things I lost in that um, phase of my life was navigation, GPS stuff. And so I literally had to figure out my way around town. What I realized is, you can, <laughs> like, you, you can. can you can find your way around. There are mm. all kinds of ways to find your way around and get exactly where you mean to go without using without dependency upon a map. Um, and and it was really it was really good. Like you had no, mm. I could just get up and go. I didn't have to think about pull up that address. Oh no, I can't go without that address. The other thing I realized was there would be things in my life that happened, and I wanted to snap a picture of. And like send to my folks, the inability to to do that instantaneous communicate this experience to the people I love. I, I kept having this thought come into my mind, and I remember this. The thought kept entering my head. I can't wait to see my dad. I can't wait to see my mom again, so I can tell them about this. And I would think, okay, I'm going to call them and see if we can get together for dinner. Hey, can we get dinner so that I can do this or whatever? Um, I think convenience in so many ways robs us of the quality of life that we really would choose if we could see plainly the trade-off before us, like the GPS and dementia thing. Like if someone said, okay, in this hand, you can navigate stress-free with this little device. In this hand is your memories. Hmm. Like which one do you choose? Hmm. Yeah. I don't think there's a person alive today who isn't an already insane that wouldn't choose their memories over that. And yet, and yet, day-to-day practice, hmm. I'm probably gonna, I'm probably gonna use GPS. Yeah. So one of my favorite examples of, of exactly what you're talking about is when when I go camping. So like I love camping. It's it's a spiritual discipline for for me. And so one of the things I've really enjoyed doing is introducing youth to camping and introducing families to camping and providing accessible avenues for them to get into it. Camping is literally just life on hard mode. It's just none of the conveniences, money, many less technologies, um, including no refrigerators, (laughs) believe it or not, just ice boxes again. But the richness of those environments and what I find is people actually enjoy the challenge. They actually kind of enjoy, at least for a season. You know, we're all we're, we all tend to be lazy when we want to be, but we we discover a richness of life in overcoming some of these things, and the process of engaging with something that is real and something that is difficult actually breeds better memories, and it creates better humans. It creates mm-hmm. better Christians. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we, we can't lose that. Hmm. So, I, man, I, I feel like we could talk about this for days. And there's so much, there's so much to discuss. And we will. There's we will. This, yeah, there's more of, to the, of this conversation to come in this tech series that we're doing right now. Um, you know, in our next Book Nook podcast, we're going to be going over Frankenstein and some of the consequences of technological and scientific uh, yeah. progress. This is, this is not the... Uh, the lame green monster of TV dumb. No, this no, is no, a no, no, no. Far more scary much, and far more interesting story. Much more than sophisticated you treatment of the subject. But 
Um, here's how I kind of like to close this conversation out with you guys. What what would be um, a, a word of wisdom, or maybe maybe not just for the outside listener, but for you yourself, in light of the kind of things we've discussed, um, and in all seriousness, what would you say is something that you you want to take away from this conversation? An alteration to your tech habits that you might you might consider. I'm not going to hold you to it. It's not a it's not a public you know promise. But what is an alteration to your tech habits that you might consider making in light of the kind of conversation we've had today? Dude, I'm I'm very serious. I I'm kind of fl- floored by this whole GPS makes you more likely for dementia thing. I I lost uh I saw two of my grandparents go through some ravaging dementia in the last years of their life and I was experiencing exactly what you're saying this feeling that I wasn't my brain wasn't working when I was driving. Mm-hmm. I'd be like, and then someone would ask me, hey, do you know how to get there? And I've been driven there 50 times, but I always have my GPS, and so my brain had no idea what to do with it. And I'll say this. It goes back to some of my previous conversation we've had today. I fear when technology makes me feel like I'm no longer my own. It's kind of that Orwellian, Huxleyan, like the tech owns me now, and I'm just sort of a vessel for them to do what they want. And I think dementia is like one of the highest forms of that feeling. So, dude, I, I'm serious. I'm probably going to stop using my GPS, if if not entirely, om- almost never. Like, yeah. I'm that's that's a crazy. I'm totally willing to drop that. Yeah, look it up. I mean, there's there's some studies you can see. So, I mean, I would say pursue that further. If, you know, and and get firsthand knowledge of yeah of what people are finding in that in that regard. Yeah. Yeah, I think I, I don't use GPS enough to where I think it's affecting my memory. I mean, I think it is a beneficial tool mm-hmm. in places you are completely unfamiliar with. So I, sure. I don't see it as anything in my life personally with that. Um, this is some daily event for me. I mean, this is on occasion just so I'll know how where I'm going. But um, as far as, <clears throat> you know, technology and how we approach it, uh, just – I think asking myself the question, um, is this, um, to my experience with my, my dad and the lawnmower growing up, uh, is it beneficial for me to say no to some things that would actually allow me to develop better, uh, either mentally or physically, uh, that a, a more convenient technology would hinder? And, um, you know, so I ask those questions a lot and, um, uh, just learning to have some discernment and seeing those things for what they are might might be a blessing on the convenient side, but it'd be more of a blessing for me to say no to this because I can accomplish the same goal by going a different route maybe is the best way to put that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'll come out better on the other side. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I, I guess I would say um, whenever I have conversations like this and have to think through these issues again, I come back to the realization that our technology, our relationship with our technology is not a one-way relationship. And I think that's one of the illusions that we need to sort of be disillusioned of. Mm. Um, it isn't the case that we are acting upon our technology, but it is innate. It is, or, or, or it is... Um, animate. Um, inanimate. It is, no, we are, it is actually acting upon us at the same time. We form our tech, we form our tools, and then afterwards our tools shape us. That's the reality. And so for me personally, 
you know, I've, I've read enough to know that tech fasts can be really good for the brain, uh, really good for the spirit and the soul. Um, and so I've, I've considered, I've considered doing a meaningful tech fast for a long time. And, um, I think that it's scary to me because there's the professional challenges that will come along with that as a pastor needing to communicate with so many people all the time. Um, there's the familial complications that that presents, you know, at least inconveniences that are presented by it. But I think, I think the number is 17 days to see a, a, a real benefit, but 21 days is kind of the goal, like a full three week tech fast. And so I don't know. I mean, I'm not, I'm not making any promises, but it's something I'm, I'm considering doing. Um, if for no other reason than just to perform my own little solo experiment, like What's the impact of of a twenty one day tech fast? You know, we definitely make the rest of our conversations very interesting with some of that. Yeah, some of that data in hand. Yeah, maybe maybe we do an episode in this series after we've all completed the seventeen day or twenty one day tech fast and share what are our what did we discover about ourselves yeah, and the life we live without it versus what we had with it. What do we value about it now differently? You know. Uh, that might be an interesting thing to do. So stay tuned. If you'd like to see more of that, then email us because we have an email that you can reach out to. Yeah, faithandculturelakeridge.org. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah, if you're listening and you want to see Van go through a 17-day tech fast. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I mean, all of us, would, all of us, I think, would have to do it to make it worth our while. But. How about a 17-day uh, microwave fast? Let's see how you do on that. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, and then what would define, how would we define tech? what would we be fasting from exactly anyway well thanks for listening guys thanks for being part of this conversation this is always a challenging one this has been another faith and culture conversation a ministry of Lake Ridge Bible Church you can join the conversation by emailing us at faithandculture at lakeridge.org. Special thanks to Jeremy Wilkerson for producing. <laughs>